mini episode 1096 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode number 1096. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with one of our favorite recurring FDH Lounge dignitaries, our good friend, John Bastow. Yeah, we always say uh, pop culture and fitness expert. Uh, that, now, that is a lot to fit on a resume. <laughs> that is an unwieldy line on a resume, my man. But, uh, of yeah, course... And you, and you, dimensionally opposed things. They have nothing to do with each other. I'm a pop culture expert, a fitness expert, and now a dignitary. I yes. love it. Yes, you are. I don't know if we've made that official before or not, but we need to tonight. You are officially, if you weren't before, and I have no memory of this, I, I, I should keep better track, but if you weren't before, you are officially an FDH Lounge dignitary. And uh, again, well, that's, that, that's going to be the lead. That's going to be my, my <laughs> go-to lead now in my bio. Well, that is something that, uh, again, we, 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 can only, uh, we can only hope that uh, that will be something that will impress your hordes and hordes of followers here. And, uh, of course, to be able to check out everything you got going on, of course, at John Bastow on Twitter. And then, of course, Instagram.com slash John TV. Of course, those are the hubs of uh, everything that uh, you are disseminating. And uh, it is great that a couple times a year at least we can get you to come on and uh, disseminate off of. We, we like to talk. We've talked other things with you on this show, but something that's become a staple, awards shows. So we'll take a look at the 2019 Academy Awards, the Oscars. Those are fresh in our mind and uh, a, a very, very interesting ceremony and uh, one that was different from the last couple of years, I think, in a broad sort of a way, in a couple of ways, it seems like to me. Yeah, and actually, I, I think it got, uh, stats are showing like a 12% rating increase, just showing that hosts are not needed in some cases. That is an excellent point. That's one of the things I was going to reference. And in, in terms of, you didn't have the host, so if there's any kind of a thing where people are intrigued to see who it is, or maybe if people are fans of a certain person that might be hosting, you're depriving yourself of that demographic. But on the other hand, what you're also doing is you're getting this some bitch done and put to bed a lot earlier. This was a pretty tight show compared to what they did the last couple of years. And uh, in terms of the length of these things, uh, more is less, it seems to me, in terms of the ratings. So you didn't have the host. That's one of the factors that leads to a shorter show, which to me, I kind of predicted the ratings might be up just based on it being more compact and less dragging. I mean, I look at it as almost, I mean, in, in an Oscar show or in an award show, the presenters are almost always semi-hosts right yeah. there. It's like, uh, and, and I mean, it was funny how, um, and I think they got a lot of tweets. I know they got one from me. When uh, Amy Poehler, uh, Maya Rudolph, uh, and Tina Fey went up there, uh, repeatedly saying, we are not the host, not the host. And then, of course, people would write in, but why? Why aren't you the host? <laughs> um, but it's great because I think one of the keys to the entertainment industry and being successful in the entertainment industry and in many industries is to always leave people wanting more instead of wishing you had given less. 
So uh, having, uh, like, Julia Roberts got a lot of positive uh, play, and in, in when she was doing her announcement, they said, uh, you know, Julia Roberts would have made a good host. Because you give those little snippets, you're always leaving people wanting more, as opposed to wishing you'd given less, and it's all positive for these people. So you get almost like, it's almost like um, a cacophony of hosts, as opposed to, you know, one single host recurring during the show. That's an excellent point. I, I think not enough people reflect upon this. It's not like it's all or nothing, because you're, you're getting the presenters out there anyways. If anything, the presenters, like you said, kind of take on a little bit higher profile in the absence of one unifying host for the thing. I, I didn't even realize uh, such was my sort of uh, channel flipping uh, that Tina Fey et al. were out there more than once, but that just sort of backs up the whole thing here. That yeah, That's an excellent point you raise. It's not like there's nobody there to serve in that capacity. I'm going to pivot to when we're talking about that the, it was a different show than the last couple of years. One of the other things is, you've talked about this before, and I think it's been a very valid point, that in terms of the red carpet, it's generally less flamboyant <laughs> than it is for other awards shows. That it's it's more subdued yeah. than the Emmys or God love, love the MTV awards of any kind or whatever. But this year, a <laughs> little more colorful, little little more stuff out there. Um, you had the, you had the guy with the tuxedo slash ball ground combo, which I got to tell you, I got order. yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I got elderly relatives that I'm sure were turning in their graves. I'm a good Roman Catholic boy. If I was dead, I'd be turning in my grave. But it's 2019. You're going to have that kind of stuff happening. And, you know, you had that one there. You had Spike Lee with his outfit. And uh, all I can think is, uh, you know, I, I, my, this is just a guess, but I'm guessing he was inspired by getting stoned and watching old Fat Albert reruns and thinking, hey, I can do some stuff with a color palette. So, you did have some... Shout out, shout out to Fat Albert. That is a reference most people have not heard in a while. And hey. I've heard it twice this week. Oh have you? Oh my gosh. There nice. You know. Yes. <laughs> I can't even imagine in what other context yeah, in the year 2019. Some people talking about, somebody was like mumbling, and they go, you like the guy in Fat Albert. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I, I mentioned those two things, and I'm, I don't even know if Spike—I don't think Spike Lee wore that on the red carpet. I think that was just for inside the building. And here I am, not even necessarily mentioning any of the women, but there were women's outfits, obviously, that were uh, a little bit more—I uh, don't know if you call it daring or colorful or whatever—than in years past. Melissa McCarthy with the whole modified male tux kind of a deal, and just seemed like—am I right about this—that there was more sprightliness and colorful type things with the red carpet than in years? Years past, there was a. Um, it, it was it was less subdued. I mean, I think Oscars. You always have a lot of um, you know glamorous outfits in the women, but it's like uh, subdued glamorous as opposed to super shocking. Like you, not even subdued glamorous, but more like um, expected glamorous. I would say as opposed to the glamorous that you'll see on the Grammys or you'll see on the MTV awards for some of the ones that you know cross the line in a good way. Um, but then, what's interesting about this Oscars is you had a lot of fashion stars namely Charlize Theron and um, also Emma Stone, who usually kill it and are always like, uh, you know, predominantly, you know, positive responses as opposed to negative. And they, they both got slammed a lot with their choices. I mean, I think one person called uh, Emma Stone's dress, uh, she, she reminded me sort of like a filet of fish um, <laughs> That's not and good. And Charlize, Charlize Theron, uh, you know, as statuesque as she is, you know, really got slammed a lot for her outfit as well. Yeah, and uh, again, people were uh, taking a little bit more in the way of risks and choices and whatever, and it's this is one of these things where, again, 
and, and I might just be extrapolating a little bit, but you combine that. Maybe I'm connecting dots that aren't there to be connected, but uh, you being the, the good pop culture observer you are, maybe you were noticing some of the same stuff, maybe you weren't, but some of the at, the, at the same time that you were seemingly having a little bit more fun and adventurousness with some of the red carpet outfits, you were also having less than you'd had, especially the last two years, of dour speechifying about uh, Trump's America and all things like that. I'm, I'm wondering if there wasn't sort of a vibe at the Emmys of springtime in America after the Democrats retook the House in November here and are looking ahead to 2020. Like, I, I'm wondering if less angst among a lot of the politically uh, inclined folks in there might have contributed to a little bit fluffier red carpet and a little bit less dollar speechifying during the awards. Am, am I connecting the dots wrong here or, or potentially right? Oh, I just think it's the lull before the storm because it's going to go it's going to go insane in 2020. Right. Uh, it's going to come all back again. Sure. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's still the same sentiment in, I think, Hollywood and the entertainment community towards the political climate that's going on right now. Okay. And I think it's, it's almost been beaten to death in the sense that, you know how you have, like, the little boy that cried wolf constantly, constantly, and then nobody listens to him? Right. That's almost like Hollywood, in my opinion, right now. I mean, sure. it just becomes dumbed down. I think you have to have a little bit of a lull to make things, you know, new again. Okay. Speak, as far as opinions go, and I mean, it's going to be gearing up to be a complete, you know, uh, S storm coming up in 2020 with everything. Um, and I mean, the Democrats, I think, retaking the, you know, the House and stuff like that. Are you talking? Yeah, it's a little bit, but starting that life still goes strong in political climate, and 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 Hollywood still gets their political views out. But I mean, I think Oscars got so panned for that. I mean, in past years. Um, that, you know, they took a step back from it a little bit, and I think that that was a wise step. I mean, I think going hostless, I think, um, you know, basically making it a better production overall. I mean, even though I think the opening number, which I thought was great, got panned in a lot of papers and in a lot of magazines and everything, I think the Oscars had a lot more positive this year. Um, And I think it's good to be more positive, both speaking positivity not negative, like always talking about the negative political climate and trying to just do jabs, 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 because that turns a lot of people off, which is, I think, why a lot of the country, which obviously voted for the current regime and everything, you know, were, there, there was no watching of the Oscars or much less ratings uh, in past years. And I think just going away from that and just trying to keep the Oscars entertainment-oriented, which is what people love to see, and glorifying the entertainment industry in a positive way, it is a very good direction to go, avoiding that whole negative aspect of it. It's not a platform for politics, I don't think. And I think they get slammed a lot, and I think they fail when they try to be a platform for politics. You know, I'll say kudos to you. I, I think you probably came closer to the mark than I did on it. Everything you're saying is making sense. I think, yeah, as far as lull in the storm, that yeah, there was a lot of buildup you know, into the midterms. There's going to be a lot of buildup for 2020, but you can't sustain that kind of rage for four years. So I think you're absolutely no, right. Not I, at all. I think you are totally right. Uh, and that uh, In order for it to have any impact, Rick, it, there has to be a difference. There ha- it has to go from zero to 100 again, as opposed to trying to stay at 100. Because you never stay at 100, you just steadily decline. Absolutely. And eventually, eventually people just become numb to your message and don't listen to a damn thing you say anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's and an ratings, a- were showing, ratings were proving that theory to be true. Excellent point. Yeah, I, I think people responded well to to less of the uh, the speechifying and 
the droning on and that kind of stuff. I, I think people, again, it's more along the lines of uh, what they like to see in their entertainment. And, uh, again, I think a compact show, and like you said, leaving them wanting more has a lot to do with that. And, uh, again, you know, we, we talked about uh, the red carpet. Uh, inside the hall, I, I know one of the gigantic stories of the night was uh, a surprise with uh, Green Book with the, uh, the win for Best Motion Picture. That was something that was, uh, you know, really, really not Big forecast deal. in a lot of quarters. Absolutely. Uh, and some of the other major awards, uh, not as many big surprises there. But uh, what were some of the, uh, the more noteworthy stories to you as far as uh, some of the major and even some of the minor awards? Uh, outstanding actress, uh, Olivia Coleman with the favorite. Yeah. I think that was uh, out of the blue. Yeah, personally. true. And I think, I think, I think she, I don't think she could have handled that speech any better than she did. She came up there, she won the award, she already, she won the award, obviously, um, but she came up there with such an attitude of gratitude and such a humbleness that she was so charming and so engaging that um, even the people that resented her getting the award or saying that, you know, you know, stolen, stolen from Glenn Close or, or whoever you thought was going to win it there. There were so many above her as far as, like, you know, potential favorites and talked about favorites, I should say. Um, I think she won over so many people um, because of her speech and just the whole vibe of her acceptance. Not only even the words she said, but just her actions, her mannerisms, and her whole being of attitude of gratitude. I loved it. Yeah. And I didn't even see the movie. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, I mean, ask Naomi Osaka, you know, on that. Uh, now, now she had uh, Serena Williams dumping on her at the U.S. Open, but uh, you know, when you're out there and and you and you beat the sem- sentimental favorite, that is a no-win situation. So everybody thinking that uh, Glenn Close is going to get off the Susan Lucci Schneid, and it doesn't happen. Yeah, what a tough Good spot reference. to be in. You are you are killing it with references tonight, man. Thank you. Killing it, Fat Albert and Susan Lucci, all my children. <laughs> There well, you go. I I say that just because uh, I, I saw a thing on YouTube the other day of uh, as far as Susan Lucci goes, one one of my favorite daytime actresses of all time, Mara West. I was watching her breakthrough at the daytime Emmys just a couple days ago. So Lu- Susan Lucci was front of mind because she isn't she the first one we all think of as far as awards show futility and finally having it come to an end. So you know, Glenn Close, oh, yes, you know, to the yes. Exactly, Glenn Close getting to that point, and uh, again for for somebody, uh, you know, a, a fascinating career arc because you you go back to Fatal Attraction and, and somebody who had the the breakthrough role of her career uh, in in a thing that uh, let's I don't think this is me being sexist in saying this, but for an actress still in what we would consider to be the sex kitten phase of her career, that was a sex kitten role. Let's be totally honest. Although she she crushed it, she killed it. But uh, this this whole thing about, for, for as much as we hear, I'm actually going to stick up for Hollywood on this one, for as much as we hear about misogyny in Hollywood and they don't have use for older women and everything like that, as Glenn Close has gotten further away from her ability to play the sex kitten roles, the esteem for her acting skills has just skyrocketed over a period of time. She's benefited from aging, I think. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm... Um... I've seen Fatal Attraction, and I, I never considered her necessarily a sex kitten in that. I mean, yes, it was in that sort of phase of her career, but she was never like a, you know, uh, in, in the ilk of like a, a Charlize Theron or, um, no. you know, some some of the other ones that, that you know, were, were totally, no. and Charlize Theron is, of course, a great, great actress. Right. Um, but Glenn Close was in that role, so it was such a powerful performance by her. Yep. Um, just as a woman wrong. 
okay, and, and, and she definitely was wronged. And, and, of course, she went off the deep end and everything, but she played that with such gravitas beyond what other actresses could do that you saw the potential for so much more than what that role could have been if it was not Glenn Close in it. That's right. That's absolutely right. And uh, she was phenomenal. And, uh, again, the way that her career is going... Although I still will always... I, I, I will still always hate her for burning that bunny. Burning <laughs> that bunny. I, no, I cannot... And I love, I love her work and so many other things. But there's a part of my brain that, you know, with the animals and everything, that's just like, oh, the bunny bird, the bunny boiler, the bunny boiler. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. But it's a thing where... I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding in theory. <laughs> well, this is a thing where, in, in, in a way... I mean, I'm not going to say that it's necessarily going to help her career because you're, you're going to continue to get great roles, especially after you've won the big one. But it's a thing where i got to think in terms of casting. If you're somebody who uh, has a prestige picture that they're putting together, i got to think, just kind of looking inside the industry here, that might make her a little bit more attractive to you if you're making a decision between her and somebody else. Like, hey, my movie might be the one that gets her that first Academy Award. That that's something that could be beneficial in getting her good roles. I think. Oh, it could be, and sometimes, sometimes, just like Susan Lucci did, you become more famous for not winning, right. and you're known more for not winning than if you ever won. I mean, people remember that Susan Lucci did win, and she did win. Did, did she win once or twice? I think she maybe even won twice. But I think she did. But I remember the year when she when she won. Um, the thing is, even now, you still talk about the losses more so than that win. And even the fact that she broke the losing strike is secondary to the length of the losing strike. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that, because that makes you stand out more. There are winners every year. There are tons of winners. But there are not winners that had 18 losses or 15 losses or whatever it was in a row. That's an amazing point. That really is. And, uh, I, again, I know we both hope that uh, she's going to get there eventually. And uh, I, I have I have faith. And she was dressed like it this year. If she had won the Oscar, she would have matched the Oscar. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> well, maybe that was a little bit of hubris, you know. Maybe, maybe you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, maybe dress like completely opposite from whatever the award looks like. But, uh, you know, I, I think she'll get there, and uh, she definitely deserves it. And, uh, again, that was, that was a big story of the night. Uh, and, uh, again... It was uh, it was a thing where uh, you know Black Panther uh, it didn't break through with the big one but uh, it was doing pretty well with some of the other awards uh, sweeping through on that. Great movie, uh, great movie. It, exactly, and uh, you know it, the, the whole thing on on the uh, on the makeup end of it uh, on, on how Vice ended up winning for that movie. I, I mean, I thought there should have at least been an honorable mention for Christian Bale's endless boxes of bonbons over a period of time, because let's face it, him putting on the, the 45 LBS had about as much to do with that as anything else. Sure, he couldn't have done it with bad makeup. You know, you, you don't want to be like uh, Vincent Chase uh, in, in that one uh, Colombian movie uh, from our entourage back in the day. But still, you know, I, I, they deserve to win. But I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, what about the part Christian Bale played in this whole thing? Medellin, that's right, yeah. Medellin, yeah. Medellin, the one that was a big flood. Was it Colombian or Brazilian movie? Was Medellin? Yeah, Medellin. I was, I was blanking on it, but you're right. Yeah, because yeah. it was, it was, and the way that's, uh, it wasn't Siskel and Ebert, but Ebert and Roper, the way they were goofing on the bad makeup yeah. job. <laughs> I was, I was thinking of that. And yeah, you don't want to be the punchline of those guys, and certainly Christian Bale wasn't. But it's like you know they did a heck of a job of uh, disguising him, uh, you know, from the the you know youthful good looks that he has into being plausible for Dick Cheney, which is a tremendous job. But it's not like he didn't sacrifice uh, physically as well, much like Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. 
you know, with packing on his weight back in the day. Sometimes you got to take your hat off to the actor or the actress that does their part to uh, to gain the award. No, I, well, and once again, I mean, look at what Charlize Theron did with a uh, monster. I yes. mean, a lot of times when you Perfect. go through those massive physical changes, um, you know, Hollywood does take notice and Hollywood rewards it. Because also, remember, not only when you're going to the, 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 the good looks to the lesser, um, you know, that's like the antithesis of Hollywood. So for somebody doing that for their craft, when they're usually trying everything they can possibly do to look their best, right. and staying on the cutting edge of everything they can possibly do to look their best, when they diametrically oppose that and go to the other direction simply for authenticity in the role, that's respected. Oh, well, and here's what's ironic is, I mean, there are certain people kind of looking in the direction of Amy Adams for doing the same thing in that movie. But I'll tell you this, uh, as a massive fan of The Office, I can tell you this, where that was sort of like peak Amy Adams, she's been doing that in almost every role she's ever had. I mean, Amy Adams has sort of made a career of uh, succeeding by being less attractive than she really is. I'm not slamming her for that, but I mean, you know, what she did as Lynn Cheney is really not much different than she does in most other roles uh, as, as far as not letting her natural good looks distract from the performance oh, no, she's supposed you- to give. But she was just, but she, but no, she runs the gamut. She has one of the best careers. I'm glad you brought it up because I don't think we've ever spoken about her in any of these times. I don't think so, no. Yearly retrospectives. But she has the greatest career in the world, as far as I'm concerned, because she will play the princess and, um, what was that, Forever After or something like, what, what was the movie where she was like, uh, you know, playing, you know, Cinderella or Belle? Oh, or yeah. Like, she will pay, play the epitome of beauty. She will she play can. that. Yeah. And then see her as Lynn Cheney. And, she, and, and the fact that you don't even recognize that is fantastic because she's that convincing and has that much of it. If you go to her IMDb, it's like a dictionary. I mean, it's huge because she plays that many different roles and she will go from lead actress to supporting actress and back and forth. She has an amazing career because she's not pigeonholed by looks. She's not pigeonholed by character. She's not pigeonholed by talent. She runs the gamut and does pretty much anything she wants to do. Once again, you made a better point than I did because, again, you have a greater familiarity with her career than I do. I don't tend to associate her with as much in the way of glamorous roles, but I guess from what you're saying, she you know, she has played them as well. I guess I tend to associate her more in with... Leads. Yeah. In Leeds. In Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. I, I, I just, I tend to think more of the Lynn Cheney type thing as being more representative of what she's done. But you're right. She's played glamour as well. And again, and that that is really to her credit, that her ability to go she's back and Superman's forth. She's Superman's girlfriend. Well, I mean, you're... In the DC Comics, she, she's Superman's girlfriend. Lois Lane is no slouch. Yeah. Well, I, I, I haven't really uh, been to all the Superman movies lately, so... And when you're the better half of the significant, the significant other of the superhero, you know... You're, you're not slouching in any department. No, that's true. That's true. That's uh, that's that's a very good point. You make an excellent point about her, and and again, she's uh, just you know, very very talented and very versatile. And uh, you know, with with, with everything that uh, with, with the, the the tone that it's kind of gone in baseball the last couple of years, the guys like Ben Zobrist, Marwin Gonzalez, she is sort of the super utility player of Hollywood, is she not? You, you can basically plug her in anywhere. That that is a that is a very very good place to be both for career diversity and also the bank account. That exactly. That's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. 
Exactly. And, you know, like, and, and in baseball, it was always an insult to be a utility player. But in recent years, if you're a super utility player, like, that's a thumbs up kind of a deal because people recognize the versatility. You can do this, that, whatever. And Amy Adams does oh, I, seem. I love careers like Amy, like Amy Adams, Sam, Samuel Jackson. Yeah. He has an amazing career. He's in everything. He is. He, he's, he's in a lot of different uh, types of stuff. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things that's, that's endearing about him is, as far as the persona goes, he owns it. And I don't know if this is necessarily the phrase I'm looking for, but, like, he's, he's in on the joke, basically, as far as the Samuel L. Jackson persona. I like that about him. He doesn't take himself too seriously. But that's fantastic. The guy will do snakes in a plane. Right. Okay? Right. And, you know, and, and be known for the famous quote, like, oh, what are these mofo snakes doing in the plane or whatever? <laughs> um, and then you'll then you'll see him being the organizer of the Avengers or whatever in all blockbuster movies. So you go from, like, a cult classic that's almost pan for being such a bad movie, it's good because it's so bad type of thing. Right. And he'll be the star of that. But then he'll also be the star of this A-list blockbuster type movie um, that gets critical acclaim. And he will, and, and that's, a, that's just a career that's fantastic. You can win a Razzie, and you can win an Oscar in the same year, practically. Yeah, yeah, he is, uh, he is a unique talent, no question about it. But uh, it was, uh, again, uh, an, an interesting year uh, for the awards. Again, just, you know, to, to, to sort of put an overall bow on it, just I guess the word that I would just sort of use would be sort of like lighter as far as the mood of it, whether it be the red carpet, whether it be the fact that it didn't run as long, uh, you didn't have a host out there mopping up all the time, uh, you know, delaying the start of the whole thing here. It just, it just, it, it seemed, it, it, it just seemed to have a much better flow than the last couple of years. And uh, these things don't tend to be patterns. You'd think they'd look at the ratings and they'd take an, a, 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 you know, a hint from it. Uh, my guess is, uh, you know, we're recapping the show next year, and it's like, ah, oh, it really didn't flow as good as it did in 2019. So who knows if it's going to be durable? But uh, that was my sort of positive sense of it. What about you? I like, I like the way that you described the two characteristics of the two main jobs of a host as mopping up and delaying the flow. <laughs> You can tell I'm not a big fan of most host jobs. Hence why the Oscar hosting job is so hated in Hollywood and something that everybody considers a quote-unquote thankless task. Yeah. You just described it as somebody who mops up and delays the flow. <laughs> well, you know... It was well, you know. Some some tells me it, it, it wouldn't have gone so well this year if they'd gone with the original plan and it was Kevin Hart and if he went out there with an act like, uh, "Hey, what's the deal with all these effing gay people?" I don't think that would have gone over so well in the room, you know. So no, I, I, I think the awards are the star of the Oscars. That's what people are waiting to see. It's nice to have the interstitials and like the the openings and obviously the opening. And I think they did a great job with, even though a lot of people said. That was ridiculous to have that as an opening because you're showing favoritism to Bohemian Rhapsody because you're starting off with all uh, tribute to Queen songs. And that was one of the nominated pictures, obviously. So that was one of the big pans of that opening was that it's already showing like, you know, and then the movie didn't win anyway, but I mean, it's showing favoritism to one of the competitors. Um, but yeah, it, it, and, I, and I think another high point since you always like to go over that is, um, uh, you know, Shallow by Bradley Cooper and, um, you know, Lady Gaga. I thought that that was awesome. I would hate to be Arena Shake in that um, in, in, in that audience watching that uh, that song and that number, which which I thought they did great. And um, yeah, and then and then the aftermath of that was just. I mean, on all the shows, everyone. 
Yeah, such as it is. Uh, the people were uh, you know, puzzling about that and potentially making more of it uh, than what it is, which is the nature of social media these days, of course. But uh, 100%. 100%. well, ex- exactly, exactly, and uh, you know, yeah, it, the, the the whole thing. The, the way that it went, uh, again, I, I think some of the changes that were in place this year, whether they were planned or unplanned changes, I think were beneficial. The thing I'll tell you about, about uh, the, the quote-unquote queen performance uh, before the show there was uh, I, I was reading this somewhere, I think it was in The Ringer, where they said that it, it, it risked making the other members of Queen look like they were taking part in a Queen cover band, which was kind of an appropriate way to... <laughs> to kind of sum it up, when, when, when you're when you're performing out there and it ain't Freddie Mercury, I think you kind of are a cover band. Mm-hmm. So obviously we can't do anything about that. Any anytime you have anytime you have, I think anybody doing a performance by somebody, especially somebody who's passed, that was as iconic as Freddie Mercury, you're going to get comments like you just said. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it, it, it's almost a no-win situation. But I thought I, I actually thought Adam Lambert did a great job, um, and I thought. Um, you know, it was, and, and also uh, speaking of uh, how supposedly the uh, members of Queen embraced somebody uh, playing Freddie Mercury, um, Rami Malek, I think, talked about this in his acceptance speech or afterwards. I don't remember who was one in one of the interviews, but he felt like an almost an honorary member of Queen the way that they embraced him in his performance in Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, that's nice to hear, and uh, hopefully that poor mofo's doing okay. I heard he took like a stumble off the stage the other night, so hopefully he's okay. I haven't, I haven't seen anything about him being in the hospital or anything, so that must not have been that bad. But uh, you know, I hate to say it, you almost—it's uh, almost a surprise it doesn't happen more often. I know the one year Jennifer Lawrence was having the damnedest time getting up the stairs, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that can be a little bit fraught with danger. Fortunately, uh, you know, incidents are few and far between. But uh, poor Mr. Malik ended up taking a tumble. And I guess, like I said, the lack of news I've seen the last couple of days must indicate he's okay because it'd be a headline otherwise. But uh, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, again, an, an interesting uh, evening. And uh, it's always, uh, of course, whatever they do, I got to say, whatever they do is always just, at best, a morsel, an appetizer, quite frankly, for what we do and breaking it down afterwards. It's the, the, the show after the show, as it were, John Bastow, is always significantly more entertaining than what they put together. For one thing, you know, you leave them wanting more. We're doing a fraction of the time of what they did. But, uh, again, you and I, whenever we do this, uh, it is always uh, it is appointment listening for people out there every year when you and I are breaking down this kind of stuff. And uh, such was the case yet again this time. Uh, our pleasure, as always. I can't thank you enough for being available for this. Always, as I say. I mean, you are. I, I consider you a friend, and this is our yearly tradition. And I love breaking down the Oscars, chatting about the Oscars with you, getting your insights, bringing them to your viewers um, and listeners, uh, and always being on the FDH Lounge. Uh, you're an awesome dude, and as I say, I'm there all the time. Right back at you, John. I'm very appreciative. Uh, again, our good friend John Bastow, at John Bastow on Twitter, fitness and pop culture expert, <laughs> merging the two together. And, and, and FDA, no, 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 stop it. FDA <laughs> Lounge. Dignitary. FDA Dignitary. Yes. Dignitary. Then you can go on to the pop culture section. That, <laughs> that, that is wonderful to have that in the... Uh, in the lead there. I have to tell you that that, that is the most disparate collection of titles since uh, in my youth, not, not long out of college, when I was working at the Cleveland Athletic Club, when I was both the communications director and the club pro for the bowling center on the 15th floor. 
<laughs> You're giving me a run for the money on disparate resume lines, John. Yeah, then, then you, you, you can you can add motivational speaker, cable repairman, and repairs mufflers in, in that in that also. Uh, you are a renaissance. Can change a, can change a tire with the best of them. Yeah, you a renaissance man, a man for all seasons. Our good friend, John Bastow. Yet again, John, I can't thank you enough for being here. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1096. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all clear channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IAmBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 